Well, the thing is, is like, well, I actually probably end up having a, a baptism. Just really? To, well, I mean, she, like her family down in Mayo and stuff are still like mega religious. Um, and it's one of those like, it's just easier to probably just do that. Can I, can I suggest a brisk? Because, you know, I have some rusty knives that I haven't, uh, if it's a boy, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's a girl, uh, I can't bring it, but... Um... I think, you know, just embrace the bris. Yeah. The brisket. <laughs> the brisket, yeah, which is what will be made after. Um... <laughs> so, hello and welcome to the first episode of the new season, season three of the Anime Podcast. Uh, this season, we're doing things slightly different. It's a completely themed uh, season, mostly about armed groups, uh, usually rebels, um, freedom fighters, or terrorists, depending on your point of view, and that's going to be, we'll be making a unified theory of how anarchists can learn, or what they can understand, what they can do, what they can't do, what they should be doing from these groups. Um, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them neutral, um, and so if the CIA are listening, uh, they can make up their own minds at the end if they're going to uh, do something with us. Alex, are you planning on any holidays going for long walks or um jumping into a suitcase and shooting yourself in the back of the head do you have any of these plans that's what um dominic cummings kind of bernard castle thing was wasn't it? oh no sorry that was that was um no if i don't have any plans uh well you, as you know i'm 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 unemployed and poverty stricken um living on a boat so i mean life is already as exciting as it's gonna get um, but I do actually have some plans, James. I'm thinking about going to Reykjavik. Um, I don't know why, because it's cold all all times of the year, and it's full of um, hipsters and uh, white people. Who you know, both those things are my favorite thing in life. Um, so uh, apart from Reykjavik, um, no. How about yourself? I know you may or may not be procreating right now. I can't see you on the camera, so I have to assume that you might. Be. What's uh, your Yes, I have, a, I have a small child on the way, so I am not feeling suicidal in any fashion. So if I turn up dead after this season comes out, um, avenge my death, please. That'll give us a great fourth season. Um, a bit like, um, oh shit, what's the name of the the, the, uh, the show you used to watch with Timothy Elephant? Oh, Justified. Justified, yeah. Remember the fourth season's Justified, it turned out that the sheriff all the time had been this drug dealer who had parachuted into the town. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great season. But it was it was after the poorly received third season of Justified, because <laughs> it was coming after Margot Martindale had left in the second season, who let, let's, be all honest, let's be honest, the best villain of the, season, of the show. Uh, it was hard to catch up. And then the fourth season brought me back, but then it'll all go downhill. So we've got a lot to look forward to, James. Uh, a shitty third season. A really good fourth season where we try and find out who killed you and or did you kill yourself and then all downhill i didn't really watch it justified after fourth season are you saying the fifth season is going to be set in florida yeah very ill time since none of us have visas 
Basically, about <laughs> a week or two before the ice catches us and and shoves us into the cell with crying children. Too close to the bone, perhaps that joke. No, yeah, that's, I don't really have much plans. Uh, the my main job over the summer is to sell my boat. Uh, for those of you who listened to the show before, you know I live in a boat. Uh, I have renovated it, uh, or rather, we have renovated. Me and my wife have renovated, and we're gonna sell it and uh, see what we can get with the with the money. Whether we can purchase a house somewhere, uh, we'll see. Uh, might need a lot of work though. Um, is that enough? You see, listeners who are who are wondering why we're having um, a prolonged discussion might be saying, "Hmm, this is strange," but. It's not actually. We we did um, a few tutorials and a few uh, um, what do you call Gallup polls, I suppose, about the last few seasons. And the universal response was: you need to be more personable. You need to talk about your lives uh, rather than um, just jumping into facts, figures, and heavy intellectual discussion. Um, we also need to uh, embrace uh, the un-PC side of things uh, because a fair few times, dear listeners. Uh, in the last season, certainly the one before, uh, I cut stuff out because I was like, oh no, we're going to get cancelled. And then I realized that nobody actually listens to the podcast and I was like, probably safe enough to just say whatever. <laughs> so this is the equivalent of pissing into a, a into a wormhole. Um, so yeah. Uh, are you looking forward to our new dangerous, uh, in quotation marks, uh, season of me, James? Oh yeah, the cancelled season. Then This is what we're going for. Yeah, I think we need to bring up trans people as much as possible and just get very hyped up about it because that's definitely going to get us cancelled. Um, maybe by um, the Graham Linehan fans then. Uh, I think the Graham Linehan fans are, are diminishing in number, uh, including his own ex-wife and children who apparently want nothing to do with him. But, you know, he did once come up with a good joke, so, you know, uh, that's good. Um, one would say that... Um, uh, Father Ted was entirely the work of Arthur Matthews, and that indeed um, Black Book's first season was mostly written by uh, Bill and Moran. So you only really have IT crowd to go on uh, for what you think uh, Mr. Linehan thinks of trans people. And famously, of course, he um, what was that the episode where the woman turned out to be um, a trans woman? Well, yeah, same thing. but uh, and his response was. Uh, to fight. I think we didn't uh, Renum fight him, fight the trans person in the, in the thing when he found out she was a woman. Or, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That sentence. So anyway, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Linehan is like a lot of Irish men, uh, estranged from his family, uh, obsessed with a narrow fascist subculture on the internet. I mean, my dad's the same. He's not that far off. And, well, and he has a big giant head and a face that looks like it's fallen down a flight of stairs. Well, that's because it has fallen down a flight of stairs, um, uh, both metaphorically and physically. But uh, at least he has a house. And he, how did he get it? By marrying a woman who had a house. Um, <laughs> ah, James, the old... <laughs> the old Mario over the house boy. Um, <laughs> this is where, this is my problem. But um, did you, did any of the people you date, James, have a house? No. Not one that they owned anyway. Our... I think the older families. I'm sure, I'm sure Olivia had a house. Yeah, possibly. Uh, let's not not this podcast become the James's exes discussion podcast. And that's, that's going to be a sub podcast. Podcast. It's going to take <laughs> a to finish off. That's for the Patreon when we set it up. We can really get into the if people really want to hear about my 
sexual exploits of the past 30 years. And I've been, uh, you know, really quickly before we go into talking about serious stuff, which is anyone who I respect in, well, respect, enjoy in some fashion in comedy seems to stream video games and that seems to be where they get most of their money, including from like Patreon stuff. Like, um, Blind Boy does it, Limmy does it, what's that guy's name? Pretty much anyone I know. Are we missing a trick? Should we be streaming fucking Resident Evil Village and making money off it? Um, well, it's already a crowded market, and I tried streaming as Mingley PFAF uh, once, and it's very difficult to do it in character. Also, I play computer games to not have to talk to people and avoid being around them, so I feel that getting into it to, to then be chatting away would just be defeating the purpose of what I use video games for. Basically, it's an anti-social pursuit, and you shouldn't be trying to bring people uh, into it, at least not uh, real people. You know, yeah. Really on screen. But if you got uh, a good laptop up on the go, we could try and play some um, Crusader Kings 3 or something and try and make like a, a unified Ireland that takes over um, all, of, all of France and Spain or something. Well, I think maybe for us it would be better to stream something like Disco uh, Elysium, which I am, I have got on my um, stream, but um, uh, my computer is not nearly strong enough to actually run it, which is such a huge pain in the ass because I've heard from everybody it's a great game. Have you played it? Uh, no, I'm waiting for it to come out on the Xbox because um, that's what I play stuff on, really. I got the, this laptop's fine, but it's it's on its last days. You got that. You got that. Just got that just before you moved to Ireland, though. Don't yeah. Um, we're just now bantering again. Uh, please do tell us, dear dear listeners, whether this is the type of thing you want to hear. Uh, we're doing the ramblings of, uh, of 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 two men who. Uh, oh God, the term men. Um, two men, uh, one of which lives on a boat and is unemployed, and the other. Uh, <laughs> well, you can fill in the the gaps here about James, uh, or you want to just hear us. Uh, talk about the issues, you know. Okay, uh, what we might start doing is trying to get a sense of our topic this week. So, what we're going to try and talk about, and not in, in in a level that is usual for us, a ridiculous detail, because to be honest with you, uh, a there's been a lot of podcasts and ta- and discussion of this in general for many years, and two, you're going to find uh, in the footnotes at the bottom of the podcast links that'll give you some uh, general information and some uh, specific information and there in the background is my mom texting me but um yeah so we're going to try and not be very hyper specific and historical about the subject we're going to talk about which is uh hamas um this this week our first episode we're going to talk about something that's very much in the news um some of the links you see are actually of the, within the last couple of days or weeks uh, certainly, when we're recording this at the beginning of June, Hamas is a group who, again, is it, 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 very polarizing. It depends on who uh, you are and where you are. So, if you're somebody of a Palestinian origin, and depending on how religious you are, or how or what part of the occupied territories you're living in, Gaza, or the West Bank, or you're part of the uh, refugees or diaspora spread all across the Middle East and the world, you might have one view of them. And indeed, if you're live, a Jewish person living in America or obviously in Israel or a conservative person, you'll have a very different view. The old uh, kind of rebels and terrorist 
dynamic. Um, and they can fit, you know, they fit both those kind of definitions. Um, we're not going to pretend that we support or approve of the killing of civilians alone of what happened about 20 years ago in uh, kind of the suicide bombings that happened in Israel as we, you know, 1967 borders, as they say, uh, or indeed, you know, just drive-by shootings of people who are in um, the occupied territories in the West Bank who might be um, kind of just there for for a variety of reasons. We're not going to pretend we approve of that, but there's a difference between um, approval and understanding or, or kind of understanding where that's coming from. And I suppose that's the type of conversation you're just not going to get in horrible phrase in the mainstream media. You're not going to get the type of uh, contextual contextualization of Hamas and what they do and what they are from mainstream media. It's going to tell you one day rockets started firing into quote unquote Israel um, and they're the bad guys, you know, basically that's what you're going to hear. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what the, as again, as we're recording early in the first week of June, so anything could have happened between now and when this episode comes out, but the way that it's being discussed at the moment in the mainstream media is very much a Israel can do what it wants in any capacity and to point that out would be rude uh and that that's the height of rudeness and it shows you the way that identity politics has been co-opted by the right and the center to make them cushioned from any criticism of any imperialist or capitalist or uh similar endeavors and uh, it's just another layer of obfuscation that exists uh, in a world that already <laughs> was uh, very difficult to navigate. And so you have people saying that, you know, calling it Palestine is dead naming Israel, um, or that if you support Palestine, that automatically makes you anti-Semitic. And even more insidious, I think, is this idea that Zionism and Judaism is inherently linked and one goes in hand in the other. And as we well know, basically every Jewish person that I've ever known and met and spent time with are very pro-Palestine. Uh, and it very quickly becomes a way to uh, delegitimize their voices and saying that they're not really Jewish people because they don't support it. And again, it becomes a class thing because, you know, what we saw with people like when Corbyn was getting hit with the anti-Semitism stick, uh, it was the rabbis and you know people of their uh, standing that were against Corbyn because they know that they're going to get taxed and their middle class lifestyles are much more likely to become um, slightly, slightly, slightly less more comfortable where uh, they're happy to sell all their... They're happy to, to stoke the flames of anti-Semitism because they well know that, one, they can probably just fuck off to Israel if it gets hot enough with attacks and they'll be largely out of the firing line because it will be working class people that will have to deal with uh, the working class Jewish uh, people that would have to deal with the most amount of attacks and abuse. I mean, I... Not to be argumentative, but I would slightly disagree that that was why most of them were on Corbyn's back, or at least not the main reason. I do think, and it, and again, it, it should be said that groups like the Board of Guardians in the UK and 
kind of the the higher echelon of these types of groups. And the class element of this course is a political element to it as well. They're the type of people that are drawn into the groups. You know, this, this, the, the Jewish artists and revolutionaries don't, generally speaking, become part of these white status quo groups. So it's a certain type of person who's in them. Um, but more than anything, they were anti-Corbyn because he had a very, very, very long history of supporting the cause of Palestinian nationhood, uh, of you know basically telling the truth about what was going on when it was very unpopular to do so, like exceedingly unpopular back in the 80s and 90s. And I think they see him as a threat to Israel. And again, it's, um, it's not the majority of Jewish people I've met. That said, I do think, and this is a discussion for another podcast, another episode, another season probably, that there is the kind of criticism Israel is often mixed up. Well, that's not the right word, not often. Is sometimes mixed up with a type of latent uh, kind of stereotyping of Jewish people. So you sometimes hear, oh, you know, Jewish people have lots of money or there's a Jewish lobby. And there is because there's lobbies from every group and every nation places like Britain and, and America, but there's a kind of, a, there is that insidious kind of Jews control the world kind of myth that's there. And I think for a lot of Jewish people, they are hypersensitive of that. They're hypersensitive of, the, of that type of thing. And again, this is getting off topic because we're talking about Hamas, but it, I do think that uh, the uh, at this point in 2021, Jewish people who are worried about that do themselves no favor whatsoever by supporting people like Benjamin Netanyahu, because if anything, he fits that stereotype more than anything in terms of his, his going over to America, to the Congress, and basically attacking Obama right in front of his uh, congressmen and congresswomen, or indeed supporting right-wing reactionaries in Hungary and in Poland who want to just remove uh, the teaching of the Holocaust or what happened and pretend that they had nothing to do with it, Hungarians and Polish people, that is. So, I mean, if anything, the right wing, uh, an extreme, you know, religious right wing in Israel is making it a lot easier for actual bigots to kind of point out stuff that are, you know, which is which would have been in the past fault and is able. Uh, and I think that's kind of what was interesting about the last round of violence. Or well, you know, Israeli kind of uh, military kind of slaughter in, in Gaza was that the world is starting now to kind of see really what 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 israel has become and and it allowed hamas to start shedding some of its um former kind of uh i don't know attachments or names that was you know terrorist and whatever um the i think it's slowly starting to change uh, and uh but we might what we might do um is kind of talk about their beginnings uh not in too much detail but just kind of early days james do you want to um uh, kind of briefly Kind of talk about how they all got started uh, in the sixties and seventies. Yeah, so I'll I'll do it really basic and um, to the point where it's kind of wrong, but just to give us a running start, they sort of come out of a group called the uh, I've forgotten their name now. Is it the Muslim Brotherhood? Muslim Brotherhood. That's a yeah. Uh, they come out of them who are um, started in Egypt in the forties. Something like that. Very much uh, like James, nineteen twenties. Nineteen twenties. So yeah, they're straight in uh, imperialist Egypt then. <laughs> so yeah, but they're a group that effectively are trying to bring back uh, Islam 
and to the Arabic world in a much heavier way. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to know or realize that how secular a lot of the Middle East was. Uh, and it didn't really fit what Britain was looking for and America was looking for. Uh, because if you have secular uh, and sometimes leftist governments sitting in these countries, uh, it's a lot harder to get at the Royal. So it was what we'll find throughout this whole season is most groups that we're talking about there's two villains that we'll see all the time and it's the uk and britain uh uk the uk and the us and i think without exception each group uh will have some link to imperialism of uh america or the uk in their history at some point so they what they did was things like set up schools and obviously while they were setting up schools it was a good place to radicalize the people that were coming in uh, to get them to become um, extremist in their views of islam jihadism and very very briefly you know they are they were able to to settle in iran and then from there they're able to get into the palestine territories and they basically go to war with the, the Palestine uh, Authority again. Well, that's kind of jumping ahead a bit there, but like just just to jump in, to kind of for the early days, when they're splintering off in the sixties, or when the, basically when the the origins of Hamas are in the in the Muslim Brotherhood, what's happening is you have people like Nasser, Hafez al-Assad in Syria. So Nasser was in Egypt, Hafez al-Assad was in um, Syria. The Hashemite kind of kings in Jordan. You have Lebanon kind of being a, a clusterfuck, really, because of what the French left behind. And you have divided Middle uh, Middle East, um, but mostly secular for the most part. You know, there was obviously religion there, but it was secular, as you said. And mostly, you know, that would be a kind of clients either of the Americans or the or USSR. Out of this comes the Muslim Brotherhood in the 20s, 30s, etc. And they're saying, you know, we need to go back. We need a constitution that's based on the Quran. We need to basically go back to the way we were. And for the most part, they are uh, Sunni kind of extremists rather than um, Shia. They're not coming out of Iran. They're coming out of uh, a mixture of, of Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Um, the problem is uh, initially is that places like Egypt and places like um, Syria are terrified of this. They can't have a group like this coming up and challenging their authority. And there was a number of attempted assassinations of Nasser and other groups. So they're crushed very bloodily. I mean, talking about tens of thousands of deaths in Egypt, in Syria, and for those who survive, make their way to Gaza, which um, at least initially was still under the control of the Egyptians until 1967. But after 67, the Israelis actually kind of take a shine to them because they see them as a potential bulwark against the PLO, who were mostly socialists. Um, again, we're not. it's a whole other podcast to talk about the PLO, um, and Yasser Arafat and all that, but they see them as a bulwark against them, and they start uh, uh, basically turning the other way when they start organizing and radicalizing in, in Gaza and, and in the West Bank and elsewhere. Um, and it's really only very, very belatedly, and we're talking very, very belatedly, like 1989, when um, uh, Hamas, who by then had actually uh, formed themselves and started calling themselves Hamas, uh, kidnaps and, and kills some Israeli soldiers that they realized kind of belatedly what they had helped create, which was a group that uh, was going to supplant, uh, at least in Gaza, 
the PLO and a group that really was willing to on on religious faith to keep fighting Israel uh, and not bend, um, which is what the PLO ultimately did in 1993. They they negotiated and Hamas said, "You've betrayed Palestinian people. You're giving everything up. You're giving up, you know, the majority of what was Palestine to the occupiers." And so, because they were able to present because A, they were given fertile ground by the Israelis to, to grow in, and then secondly, because they basically were able to argue for the for the complete um, Palestine that had once existed in, before 1948, they gained the type of support that allowed them to uh, become a, kind of the dominant uh, political movement anyway, in not only the Gaza, but really the West Bank, it's just, um, there's lots of reasons why they don't control the West Bank as opposed to Gaza, but yeah, no, I mean, the a kind of that's kind of a very brief, believe it or not, kind of overview of where they're coming out of. Um, I suppose what we should ask ourselves is, I suppose, what's the best way of putting it? How effective do you think they have been? I mean, again, this is a kind of general thing and we'll, we'll burrow down into it. But if they are are casting themselves as a, as a, a revolutionary organization, uh, that employees and have employed things like suicide bombing, rocket attacks, mortars, uh, some peaceful demonstrations as well. Just from what you've read, briefly speaking, do you think they've been effective in any way, militarily or politically? Uh, it depends because I don't actually, uh, you know, and I've obviously looked into this and what they say and what you're actually trying to do is not always the same thing. So it's it's hard to I think get a real pin on how effective Hamas are with their actual goals because if you're talking about the complete destruction of Israel, they're not doing a great job of that in terms of you know doing it on their own through force, which I don't think um, anyone would believe that they they could do, obviously, but. What they have been able to do very effectively is bring the Palestinian people into their line of thinking. And that's partly by antagonizing Israel. Not that Israel actually needs antagonizing, but by doing what they've done, effectively turning Israel into an even further aggressive force. And through things like, you know, actually getting elected into the government of Palestine and setting up schools and social services, uh, things like that. They've been very effective in converting the Palestinians into their movement. And they have a lot of support. And I'm not fucking surprised because if you're living there and you know your kid is arrested by the IDF or shot or your brother um, is kept um and an idf prison for years without trial uh, or any the number of war crimes that uh israel commits every day yeah of course you're going to end up just being like you know what fuck them like i maybe wasn't that into islam but now i'm gonna you know like here's my way to get back at them etc etc so um in that term i think they have been very successful now i don't know if that was always their plan uh, was to be able to antagonize Israel into that state. I think their initial attacks were within keeping 
effectively with um, what the PLO were doing anyway. And I think Palestine has always had the right to defend itself through military means because it doesn't have any other option. It's never been listened to. Uh, no one will talk to it. Unfortunately, what Hamas do by their format, and again, I don't think this is particularly wrong because they don't really have any other option from what I see, but they sort of delegitimize themselves by, you know, air quotes, being a terrorist organization, even though they do not do anything different from what the American government does on a week-to-week basis or what Israel does to week-to-week basis, apart from the exception of, you know, like suicide bombers. Uh, but bombing schools and hospitals and uh, killing civilians indiscriminately is something that America does all the time. But obviously, as soon as someone like Hamas do it, they're just taken off the table. And to say that is testament to treason in these places. Well, there's a couple of things just to say. So here's some interesting fact, which is that um, in the early kind of what's known as the second intifada kind of the early 2000s period to maybe 2005 or thereabouts uh 1300 israelis were killed mostly in suicide bombings and kind of you know attacks across uh the quote-unquote 1967 borders uh but these days um it's the numbers are far fewer and that's for a reason because a very large wall was built not only along the border 67 border, but actually including many areas in the West Bank that have been colonized since, uh, and also Gaza has been blockaded since 2006 as well. So, you know, there's no people getting across that. So that's why you see rockets uh, being the main kind of way that Hamas kind of tries to fight back, um, or indeed, for that matter, sometimes Palestinians who are unaffiliated to um, uh, kind of Gaza, sorry, uh, the Hamas on the West Bank. But there's another thing that should be mentioned. Uh, whenever we talk, people talk about this in the mainstream media, they do not actually talk facts. So let's actually say what Israel is. Israel has the, the strongest in terms of up-to-date equipment, in terms of training. It's the fourth strongest military in the world. Their GDP, the GDP of Israel, is 14 times larger than Egypt. Uh, not Gaza, Egypt. Uh, if you were to put all the local economies in the Middle East, other than Saudi Arabia, because of course we know Saudi Arabia is chock-a-block with oil, um, if you were to put them together, excluding Saudi Arabia, it still would not equal uh, Israel. If you, um, the Israeli army, uh, an air force, a navy, is the same size as the armed forces of Iran, and Iran has a population that is nine times larger than Israel, and they do not have M60, sorry, F16s or F35s. They don't have a hundred, at least a hundred thermonuclear weapons, which Israel has, and they just—it's—it's—it's it's not even a comparison. It's, you know, um, it's not—it's a conflict in the way that I have a conflict with the um, ants that seem to be getting onto my boat. You know, uh, the ants might eat some of my sugar or they might uh, bite my toe, uh, but to compare to say that that's a conflict is is is, uh, is obscene. It's not. Um, and realistically speaking, you know, to, ask, uh, to answer the question I posed you, has Hamas been successful? The question we should ask is, is any group really successful in that type of dynamic? I don't see how if you have a, an, a, an enemy that is that much more powerful than you uh, and has that much control over your life 
and that is willing, seemingly, because Benjamin Netanyahu seems to be willing to accept, you know, civilian losses. 13 civilian, you know, Israelis died in the latest round of violence. 250 Palestinians died. If they're willing to accept that type of casualties uh, in order to colonize, Palestine, you know, the West Bank, uh, which is really their target now, then I don't know. The real question is, could any type of resistance be realistic? You know, I mean, to get um, Israel to negotiate? I don't know. Um, I, that's not Hamas's fault, and you know, that they won't negotiate. Uh, but it's a question that I often think about. I don't know if any type of resistance would really work against what Israelis want. What about you? Do you think there's anything that could be done? Realistically? Yeah, I mean, this is obviously going to be a big question about this season. Um, because I think all the groups that we're going to be talking about, um, the ones that are still going are limping along, and most of them are are gone for whatever reason. Um, almost different in each case. So I think it's a longer question, though, because you know things inevitably change, and I think. Um, it depends how politics play out in the Middle East. But if you're talking about maybe a hypothetical situation in 50, 60 years or even longer where, you know, like oil is a lot more scarce and it's hard for, say, America to fund Israel to the same amount that it does in the long run, it might actually, you know, if the, the Israelis had taken like a two-state solution or something, they might be able to have looked after themselves in this scenario that I'm talking about, where they at least be, uh, if not welcomed, at least tolerated in the Arabic world, where now there's such aggressors and such, you know, shitheads as a state, uh, eventually that is going to come back to bite them in the ass. And, you know, if all of the Arab states cobble together uh, and decide to, to go for Israel, then it is game over. And by this excessive aggression that they've been doing for the past 60, 70 years, I think it, it will eventually play out not in their favor. That's what I believe anyway. I would find it very unlikely, again, well, you never know, but it, I would find it very unlikely for any of the major Arab states now to challenge Israel because nuclear weapons, which is you guaranteed destruction of millions of your people like i mean again if if egypt was to come under the control of the muslim brotherhood which happened briefly uh before they were toppled by the military or or indeed one of the assads or whoever takes over in in israel um sorry not israel sorry in syria i just don't uh, you know again unless they had nuclear weapons themselves i just don't see it possible to challenge israel in that way and remember there was a number of deals done with groups like sudan and the United Arab Emirates to try and normalize, in quotation marks, uh, relations with Israel. They want access to their technology and they want access to their markets. So, you know, the great tragedy of the Palestinian people is that not only have they been displaced um, in, you know, pre-1948 Palestine, what's, what became Israel, but when they were fled to countries from Lebanon to Iraq to Saudi Arabia, etc., to Egypt, they remained non-citizens. Um, it was only, I think it's only in Jordan that they've been given citizenship. They're still classed as refugees after living there for you know, 70 years, and they're not given very many rights. They're treated as an underclass in the Arab world. That's the, the great tragedy. But there is really, like, whenever the propaganda you hear about from is, is right-wing Israelis is, 
oh, the, the, you know, there's 13 Arab states, there's only one Jewish state, which is just ridiculous uh, hyperbole. But anyway, the question we should get back to, I suppose, is because we're talking about Hamas rather than the broader issue, is our... So we've, we said, do, do we think Hamas was, is successful in its tactics? Um, yes and no. I mean, if you, if you, as you did, define it as converting people to your way of thinking, they have been successful. If you talk about resisting Israel, it's not quite the same thing. Again, it depends on what you want them to do. Another question would be, are they actually a detriment to the cause of, of Palestinian nationhood? And one of the, uh, I think it's a documentary you'll see at the, uh, underneath, uh, by Al Jazeera, who have their own biases, as we know, um, is that they came, they were of the view that they probably were, uh, because people like the Palestinian Authority, though corrupt, can go to uh, the International Criminal Court, they can go to The Hague, they can speak on behalf of people in the West Bank, they can say, oh, we're non-violent, whereas Hamas doesn't do that and can't do that. And is it, it's very easy for them to be painted as villains. Um, and in fact, Israel probably prefers to keep putting focus on Hamas rather than what's going on in the West Bank, where probably, you know, the neighborhoods in Jerusalem, like Sheikh Jarrah, are being piece by piece stripped and, and ethnically cleansed of Palestinians. Uh, the Jordan Valley is being um, settled. Uh, basically, Palestinians are being shoved into reservations, a la what happened to Native Americans. Um, it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, is it in a game where you can't really fight Israel? You know, even asymmetrical warfare against Israel is very, very difficult because of the Iron Dome and because they just have a, like enormous military. So really your only hope is to try and get a, a, a global boycott. Basically boycott and divestment and sanctions is about the only hope the Palestinians have because the Americans aren't going to stop supporting Israel, not anytime soon. So there needs to be a way to try and convince people. And it's is it harder to do that if Hamas are shooting off rockets and the, and the Israelis can just point to the rockets and say, look, these are bad face negotiators. They don't want peace. They want all of Palestine or all of Israel. Um, so you think they, are, they actually are a detriment to Palestinian nationhood? What do you think? Uh, no, I wouldn't agree with that because I like... As we well know, the only reason that Hamas were able to get into the, vicious, the position that they are in now is because the other way wasn't working. You know, the PLO weren't being listened to. It doesn't matter if they go to the UN because the UN doesn't do anything. So it was the failures of other mechanisms that eventually led it to happen to this extent. It was very much a case of, well, we've tried everything else, so we might as well try this then. And this is, we'll give it a, a shot. And I imagine that if you've been living in that situation where you're so angry uh, and you're treated as subhuman, you'd think, yeah, fuck it. Fuck all the Israels. I don't care if, you know, this now hits, you know, a shopping center and kills lots of uh, civilians. Uh, what are they doing to protect me when our schools are attacked and they don't care and they don't do anything? And that's not to say that there isn't lots of people in Israel that, you know, don't, they do go to protests and they do try and stop it and they try and use it. Israel is like every Western country in the world where uh, its citizens are victims of violence of the mechanisms of state as well 
Um, and I think that gets forgotten quite a lot. And this is usually where the the anti-Semitism wedge can get shoved in by the right and people like that, where they see these fault lines and the left sinking. It's quite easy to manipulate them. But I think it's just a case of this is their last resort. And it's just born out of anger. And it's a self um, reproduction system now because it's the Chicago way. You bomb them, they bomb you back. And it, it's great for Israel. Yeah, you're right, because it just means that they can paint all the Palestinian people as as terrorists. But I think if we, you know, next week, the Palestinians decided it's like, right, so we're not enough with, we've had it with Hamas, you guys, we're not, we, you don't represent us anymore. And the next elections, we're going to vote for someone else. Nothing will change. Israel will act the same way. They'll do the same things. And there won't be anyone on the street with guns and mortars to defend them. And it will be the exact same scenario. But, you know, without as many IDF soldiers getting killed. And in no way is anything like a Western country or the UN or NATO are going to step in and protect the Palestinian people. It should also be said that the only time Israel ever broke from its, and it didn't really break, but only agreed to negotiate in the 90s was because um, George Bush Sr., who died last year or the year before, um, he threatened them basically with the, 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 the basic, a lot of um, the weaponry, a lot of the, at the time, economic development in Israel was reliant on loans that were guaranteed by the Americans. And he said, well, we won't guarantee your loans. How about that? And immediately they came to the table. So you had, and that was the Oslo Accords in 93, where Yasser Arafat agreed to disarm basically the PLO in return for Palestinian state. And as we all know, they spent every moment since 1993 trying to backtrack on what they have. Their view was that if they can create a demographic reality between the Jordan River and the sea, which was, you know, 50 plus percent Jewish, that they'll be able to take the whole thing. And that ultimately America needs Israel as a basically an onshore uh, aircraft carrier, uh, with a, which is kind of what it is. I mean, uh, one of the links you'll see at the bottom of the, of the podcast is of a, of a, a weapons uh, arms kind of guy, the guy that's in Gaza who collects uh, unexploded weapons. And he said that of the weapons he's seen just in the last uh, um, kind of slaughter in in Gaza, 70% were American. 70% of the munitions landing in Gaza are American. If America wanted this to stop tomorrow, they could stop it. And Biden probably did that uh, this past time. He probably rang him up, uh, Biden, uh, BB up, and was just like, okay, you need to finish this within X amount of time. Otherwise, you know, it will look bad. And that's the way things are going. So if you want, if, if Hamas want, or Palestinians want this to stop, they have to find a way to get the American um, Congress, the American president, whoever, to in some way threaten the, either the weapons or the money that you raise. And that's a really, really hard task. A good comparison, and a group we're going to be talking about later in the season, is the IRA. The IRA had a really big problem in the 80s which was that the British military had effectively kettled them in Northern Ireland, uh, as in it was very, very difficult to bomb in, in quote-unquote, mainland Britain 
Um, now, the IRA managed in the 90s to set off a few really major truck bombs in London and Manchester, and that got people's attention. And it was one of the things that probably led to Tony Blair coming to power. But uh, overall, the, there was no real hope that the IRA was going to beat the British Army uh, in the 80s. They were, it was a long game. They felt that basically they're going to keep going, but there's only so much you can do that. Um, and again, it's a, it is a different situation. You know, things were never as bad in Northern Ireland as they are in Gaza. They're unbelievably bad. Like 80% of the water in Gaza is not, isn't fit for human consumption. Unemployment is like 60%. Food only comes into the, into the area through humanitarian groups, NGOs. Those didn't exist. People would, it would be a, a mass slaughter. People would be dying in their tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. As it is, it's bad enough, you know? So I, I think, I, I do agree that you're right. That like, what do you expect them to do? You know, they're going, and, and that's what Hamas is now saying. And you know, what do you expect us to do? Just sit down and die or let ourselves be ethnically cleansed? It, it's no, of course. Um, but at, at the same time, you have to say, well, what is the what can I achieve with the, the little resources and ideas I have? And uh, unless they can get better armaments to actually hurt Israel, or if they can, unless they can get the Americans to agree, I, I find it hard and it's a tragedy to say i find it hard to see what they anyone could do you know um if yeah i mean i've got i got two points here the first one is and again we'll talk about this again in the ira episode but i mean what happened basically in the north of ireland is that the ira as a as a as a paramilitary wing you know obviously still um trundles on as a basically as gangsters these days um but as a paramilitary force effectively uh disarmed but the loyalists didn't and that's going to have real big repercussions in scenarios that are going to be playing out in the next couple of years uh we've already seen you know these issues happen this year uh with the riots that were happening up in northern ireland so you know like in the long run, did you know the IRA um, signing these these peace accords might cause real big problems down the line for an enemy that is fucking nuts? Like the loyalists are just like frothing at the mouth nutters that cannot be reasoned with in any format, and I don't think even you should be reasoning with them. And I see Israel in the same light. They will not be reasoned with. You cannot talk to them. They will not negotiate. And they will go back on anything if you do get them to a stalemate. And as you know, like, we've known each other for a long time now. And I think we were both of the mind when we first met that the two-state solution was the only way forward to solve this problem because how... You know how is Palestine going to be able to effectively, like you know, take that territory back? And as Finkelstein said, um, you know, like the Israel people have been there for long enough. Again, like you know, how are you going to move that many people? What's the logistics of that? What's that going to look like? And so, like the two the two state solution is far from a perfect solution, but it's. It's the one that has like the least amount of humor and suffering involved in it. And I know, you know, as these 10 years have passed, it's just not a viable option at all because 
the Israeli government will never hear it and they won't affect it. And so like morally, the only real thing to to believe in is just like, yeah, the absolute decimation and absolution of the Israeli state. It has to go. It's not a functioning society. You know, you know, either they have to join up as and find some way to heal these like festering wounds that will be going on for generations or like I don't know, you know, but I think morally you can't really claim that Israel has a has a place in the world anymore. And further to the second point is basically along with that if that was to happen or, you know, some sort of two-state solution does work out and stuff, like Hamas are not great guys. They're not like the PLO. I don't know the PLO have their issues, but at least they're like we're like secular and uh, leftists, so they'd have a lot of policies that we would agree with. Like people like Hamas are like fundamental uh, Islamic nutters, and there is a lot of them in the Middle East, only because they've been fostered by uh, America and US, and usually funded and um, trained by them. But they're not going to be good for the Palestinian people for uh, you know for a long time because you know they have these very fundamentalist views these very ideologies of um religion that you know as anarchists we would not agree with at all but they're there and they're kind of who you have to work with until at what point you know the palestinian people either decide or um something changes where you know maybe the plo come back or a democratically party or you know something along those lines is able to take over but yeah i think hamas as a group are are here to stay in one way or another for a long time yeah but again it, it comes back to something you and i used to talk about a long time ago which is native americans which is if you look what happened to the native americans there's many examples of really kind of what we see now, which is a kind of rolling rebellions um, by Native Americans in different parts of the expanding American empire, you know, and they were slowly put into these reservations. Now, at any point, if we were living in the 1860s or earlier or afterwards, we might have said it would be great if this could happen or, you know, I would love if, you know, they would just leave them alone, you know. But the problem is they wanted the land and there were, and they had enough um, economic and political power that no one was going to challenge America in doing what it was doing. For, for one thing, most people into the mid-20th century thought it was a good thing that they'd colonized the, you know, the, native, the, the, uh, the lands of the Native Americans. And I, I just don't see, for lots of reasons, I just don't see a, an obvious way for Palestinians to not end up in the same situation. Uh, for lots of reasons. I mean, it's just, I can't really see, the, here's the thing, here's a rather tragic fact. When polling is done in Israel, only 40% of the population have a problem with the settlements. And 60% want them to go ahead. The majority of Israelis I've met, who I may agree with in many, many ways, some of them were leftists, are just of the view that the demographic issue is 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 sacrosanct, if you will. They need to control the area between the Jordan and the sea, and that's it. Um, and it's, they're not going to be challenged militarily by anyone, any of the countries surrounding them. They're not going to be challenged economically. 
Uh, there's too much division in, in the Middle East between Turkey, Iran, Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera. The Palestinians are in a situation where, which is the least enviable, I think, of any people I can think of. Maybe the closest comparison would be maybe the Kurds, but even the Kurds at least have some autonomous control. It's, it's, it, I can see what happens. I could see happening, as you said, the, the two states dead. As to what follows that, I don't see, this is the problem, like Finkelstein brought it up. You're assuming, or not you are, but some people are assuming that if you have a one state, that that's going to be a democratic state. It's not. Uh, Palestinians are going to be shoved into these Bantu stands, into reservation. They're not going to have the right to vote. They're not going to have civil rights. Much Again, apartheid will exist like it did in, in, in South Africa. Uh, is what well, it already does in the West Bank now today. Um, so, I mean, I, I, Hamas can launch its rockets and it launches its rockets from the reservations. Uh, if the Israelis are willing to take the, the deaths, which they seem to be, uh, it's very hard to understand, militarily speaking, how there's anything Hamas can do. Um, again, I could be wrong. Like, lots of things changed. If you were living in the 80s in South Africa, you definitely didn't think apartheid was going to end in a decade, you know? I don't know. We don't know the people who come along. We can't. We don't know what armaments, you know, uh, Hamas might get. It might get rockets that are so, are, are so effective and so devastating that you know the Israelis will talk. I, I don't know. The international community might change its mind and impose sanctions. I don't know. It doesn't seem likely, but they might. So I mean, as a group, an armed group, with your tactics limited, existing basically in an open air prison, which is what Gaza is. What are your options? Try and have some dignity, try and, and as best you can, let the world see what's going on. It's 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 very hard in the, those type of dynamics to do anything other than what they are doing. And as you said, you know, they're not saints. If they were to be in power, I, they, you know, I, I would not, the Palestinian people wouldn't be in a great situation. But, you know, they were neither in a pretty good situation, they weren't in a great situation when the Palestinian Authority was in charge either. They were renowned to be corrupt and violent too. So, you know, we don't live in a, in a perfect world or even a good world. Um, you can just try and, as best you can, um, employ some of your agency. And so, uh, much like with the Mau Mau's in the 50s in Kenya, when they used some pretty horrific and violent tactics, tactics against the Kenyans, as well as some British settlers, you know, ultimately the Mau Mau failed, but the British left. Um, you know, different situation, of course, but um, yeah, I, I, Hamas is probably going to be one of the more depressing um, uh, kind of episodes because it's very hard to see how they any tactic really is going to work against the type of momentum Israel has to take over uh, the West Bank and take over the area. But what was successful? Well, we might finish on this because it is a, a hot-button um, subject. And it is something Hamas is primarily known for, which is suicide bombings about 20 years ago. Um, at the beginning of the episode, I think I said there was about 1,300 Israelis killed in that, around that time. Um, it's actually one of the main things people think of when these days people who are unfamiliar with Israel, they remember the suicide bombings of 20 years ago. And if you read um, Robert Fisk's book, um, which is The Conquest of uh, the Middle East, uh, which he wrote about 20 years ago, it has some very, very graphic descriptions of the aftermath of those suicide bombings in Jerusalem, in Tel Aviv. Uh, we're talking about, you know, a sizable amount of people being killed quite regularly. 
buses and in, in dance clubs, etc. And but it didn't change, of course, Israel's mind. But do you think, just from a purely asymmetrical warfare basis, for the type of tactics they employed, do you think suicide bombing, um, the type, if they were to get better armaments and better rockets to kill civilians, is that actually an effective way of getting what you want as a revolutionary tool? Yeah, I mean, it is important that we do talk about suicide bombings because this is the only group that we'll be talking about this season that has regulated them. We will be talking about the Tamil Tigers that did have a suicide squad and did use some similar tactics, but not nearly to the same extent. I've always been of a mind that it's just a fucking mad tactic that doesn't really becoming it doesn't really it's not really that effective in my head because one you know what are the one thing that you're really struggling for when you're one of these groups and that's people you're always struggling to keep and maintain fighters uh because you don't have you know industrial military complex to send people to school and feed them or at least have their parents feed them uh through wages etc etc so uh, you're always thin on fighters, and so to send them out to blow themselves up, yeah, you're maybe taking out like however many civilians you are, which I don't think is a great tactic either, because I think as soon as you start killing civilians indiscriminately, you've really lost the moral argument completely, and you'll never really get to where you want to be. Um but also just from a pure tactic standpoint, it kind of just, again, like, I don't get it as a psychological warfare standpoint because you're like, oh, yeah, well, you're just nuts enough to blow yourself up. That doesn't make, that makes you apparently ours, but it, it doesn't really make you a scary enemy because it means that you're not really, you don't have the ability to defend yourself to a larger extent. So they're, you know, from a from a moral standpoint, but also just from a military tactics standpoint, I don't really get it as a as a format to go forward with. And I you know lots of people will disagree with me on that as a as a psychological tactic. Um, I mean, it was nicknamed uh, the poor man's atomic bomb back in the nineteen eighties when it was first began to be used in the Lebanon. Uh, against the uh, the actually the, the American military, the Marines were in uh, Beirut, and the first big suicide bombing was uh, a, a barracks there. A Marine barracks was blown up by this truck ran into it with uh, two men or two or three men with uh, uh, explosives, killed I think about two hundred and fifty three Marines, and it uh, the Americans withdrew from Beirut within a couple of months. Um, and indeed, some people have said that it was Hamas, not Hamas, pardon me, Hezbollah. His use of suicide bombings, his use of IUDs. IUDs are there? Yeah, I think IUDs. It's like, IUDs. IUDs, IUDs, something else. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. Um, uh, that actually got them out of southern Lebanon. So, I mean, there is examples where it was successful. Some would say that, you know, I'm, I'm saying it's successful in a purely military terms. I'm not talking about, you know, it's a crime against humanity, it's violent, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, but, I mean, also, like, yeah, you know. military targets is very different. Like, because especially in that format where, you know, you're talking like you're trying to get a foreign force out of the area. So it is only really 
soldiers you're going to be attacking or police forces etc etc like in that sense it kind of makes more like yeah so you lose three guys but also you know you take a ammunitions dump or something like that and so that i'm i'm still don't agree with it as a tactic um but it makes more sense but the way that sort of like you know going in and blowing up a, a petrol station or um you know a coffee shop or something like that i just i don't think it does you any favors it just makes more enemies because then you know you're killing you're killing someone's dad you're killing someone's mom or brother or sister and that's not going to warm them to want to make peace with you that's just going to you've just now created three or four or more people that were like right i'm going to join i'm going to rejoin idf again or when i'm old enough i'm going to like you know not only do you know the the service in the idf i'm going to do it for longer that's my career now like that sort of hate and that that sort of stuff can foster just lasts it causes such a psychological wound it lasts years and years and years it lasts like hundreds of years well i think you think you're right there because i think a lot of the because you you can time it if go back to the 90s and again you can find polling of the israeli population that exists from that time there was not nearly the level of hatred of Palestinians that exists now. There wasn't nearly the lack of interest in compromise to from the general people on the street. If you look now, it's just it's it's universal. The hatred is just so extreme. Uh, openly proclaimed in the Knesset, openly talked about on, on Israeli television, just, you know, talking about the Palestinians as if they're animals. And I think it has to be said that the suicide bombings that killed about thirteen hundred people in the early to mid two thousands probably played a big role in that and the fact it was so heavily publicized at the time the building of the wall also should and the, and the putting up of checkpoints to stop his palestinians moving around has pretty much you know destroyed the ability of suicide bombers to actually have any effect i mean it should be said that suicide bombs really ceased to be an issue about 15 years ago in um israel palestine um and now it's it's you know people talk about the rockets but the rockets are far less effective um than than suicide bombings were and i mean that only in the sense of killing people um because uh, again this is the issue like suicide bombing w- killed more people but it had a huge blowback in terms of how many people in the general israeli population turned against any type of compromise and have now embraced this type of demography idea which is we need to push the palestinians into these little pockets we're gonna outbreed them you, you can even see it in in, in, in the Aliyah. So for those who are uh, not, who are completely goy, I'm part Jewish, but the people who are completely goy, Aliyah is the return. So Jews return in quotation marks to the Holy Land, to the land of the Jews in there in, in, in that in that lingo, um, and it's been heavily advertised. I mean, after the Charlie Edbo attacks, after the uh, the series of attacks in Europe about five years ago, and the and the kind of the Syrian exodus into Europe. There was huge targeting of people, uh, either who are Jewish or of Jewish background. They want people, you know, there's a, a very a, it's almost humorous Dr. Vice documentary where they go to Ukraine and they find this family who had one Jewish grandmother um, of, of one person in the family. And they were all moving to a house in Israel, in the West Bank, uh, because they're like, well, we want our kids to have a future and they're just not going to have a future in Ukraine. But they will have a future there, even if it's you know it's slightly dangerous. It's not as dangerous as having the Russian army in your doorstep 
constantly shelling you. You know, you know, there's walls, there's armed militias there. You know, so I I think you know you're right. Suicide bombing can, in certain circumstances, from a purely military perspective, work. But I think in terms of what happened in in Israel Palestine, I don't think it did work, and I think it had a huge negative effect in the long run. Um, that has made really any type of compromise hard to imagine. Now, again, we would have said this about the IRA and about the British Army in the late 80s, but eventually political forces come on. And again, I'm you should always be hopeful that some type of deal could be done. I just think it's very hard for anyone who's looking at this subject very deeply to see how there's anything Palestinians can really do. And that doesn't really matter what tactics they employ, and it doesn't matter what group's in charge. Now, whether it's Yasser Arafat and the PLO or whether it's kind of the current leaders of, of Hamas, I, just, I I find it very hard. It's a sad story for that reason. It's very hard to figure out how any tactics would really work at this point. Yeah, um, them on their own anyway. Like, I do feel, though, that there has been, say, like, you know, the last round of attacks to the ones that we've just had, like, the conversation online anyway and it's very important to to denote that it is online but it's more people are interested you know and it's always been a thing of the left of the uk and uh, especially ireland where you know there's a lot of sympathy uh in the palestinian people way more <laughs> even in and you know in the political class it's not there by much by them but you know like the fact that Sinn Féin and people before Prophet can, you know, talk about Palestine, they, they can in the doll really shows you, you know, some of the real big differences between Ireland and UK politics. And Ireland politics are not perfect by any means. And well, it's just a very simple reason, which is one was a colonizer and one was a colonized. So I think it's just normal to see the dynamics of Palestine and, and be sympathetic in a way that. British politicians never would be. Yeah, exactly. So, but it does seem like there's been more voices that have been critical because of the the rise of social media. And you can see that by, you know, like the way that the Times continue to shit their pants about it by saying, you know, like doing running articles where they're effectively attacking members of the public for being pro-Palestine. Um, and if, you know, Eve Barlow, who's at the time of recording this, has been having about um, like a month breakdown um, straight. Can I, she... can I briefly ask who the fuck Eve Barlow is? Because I keep seeing her on, on Twitter and I don't know who she is. Oh, man. She's basically just like a, a non-journalist that went to Fetty's which kind of tells you all you need to know about her and like is jewish she's like scottish jewish and has basically just got the corbin poisoning at that time um you know we're seeing anti-semitism rife through society which you know what it probably is but it's not it's not near in the left as it is in the right by any stretch of the imagination but you know now it's the perceived enemy within and so, you know, when Israel started attacking uh, Palestine this time and, you know, people were willing to, you know, not much, but still tweet and say, like, this is unacceptable. She's just decided to have 
a meltdown and then people started calling her Eve Fartlow uh, in the classic shit posters fashion. And again, it sort of potentially backfired because now she's on Fox News, a position of like that she wouldn't have been in, you know, six, seven years ago is now on Fox News, you know, like talking shit about, you know, Palestine and the, the people that support it. So, but the groundwork is being laid there and it's been laid for a long time by, you know, like people like Corbyn and groups that have always, you know, like any uh, march you go on, there's usually a Palestine flag there, um, if not a couple. And it, it waxes and wanes, but hopefully at some point, you know, a mass community can hopefully start to make some progress and some headway. And it's so much more easier to send money to NGOs and to the people that you want to with Bitcoin and things like that. I mean, Hamas have seen a huge increase in their Bitcoin donations. And so, like, much like when we talk about the Tamil Tigers, there's potential that Hamas could end up, you know, becoming more powerful through donations throughout the Western world through cryptocurrencies that can mean that they can just go and buy the much better weapons uh, straight through Iran or something like that, rather than be given their weapons surreptitiously by Iran. One other thing which we should say, it's not optimism, but it might, um, it's an important thing to bring up, which is that anyone who's been looking at the Middle East really since the, certainly the 70s and 80s thereabouts, has seen there's been two real forces at work, kind of militarized sectorism of people like Assad, of CC and uh, Mubarak before him, of uh, Saddam Hussein, of uh, the Shah, and all of those one by one, for the most part, have been at least challenged, if not removed. And so in in Egypt, you had the Muslim Brotherhood, it was crushed, and it was allowed to regrow, then there was the demonstrations, the, the uh, removal of uh, Mubarak and the attempt for the Muslim Brotherhood when they won the election to win. Algeria had a similar problem, civil war in the 90s, Syria in the middle of a civil war. But it seems when people in the region are given the chance to vote, that many of them, not all, but many of them will vote for groups like the Muslim Brotherhood. So I don't know if Israel realizes that the attacking um, the te- the what's known, they call the Temple Mount, what they call the Dome of the Rock, where um, Muhammad is meant to have gone, I think on a winged horse, up to heaven, that stuff is not going to help uh, those who are your neighbors. And so earlier on, you said if the Arab world, or even if the Muslim world were ever to unite, and it has happened before in the past, you know, Israeli historians often look at the crusade and what happened there, which was this Christian state, pretty much where Israel is now. It lasted about 100 years before it was overturned by a united Arab world, united behind Salahuddin. So again, if there were a possibility for the Arab world to unite, which is a big ask, Israel would be in trouble. And uh, so any people who might be listening to this from the Middle East or people from the Middle East, uh, Palestinian background, maybe there, there's hope there. Um, again, that doesn't mean we have to approve of the, of the Muslim Brotherhood or approve of the ideas of these groups. But purely from a military perspective, um, historically, that's how it worked in the past. And there's, there's always a chance that that might happen. A united kind of a Muslim front or Arab front might occur. 
certainly if if it, if Israel, as some of its right wing uh, politicians want, was to destroy the Dome of the Rock and build a new temple on its ruins, you definitely see a, a lot of people pretty eager to unite then, and that's a real possibility if they keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, as we're saying, we, you know, we, we did this, we said this a lot in season two, is that things go from zero to done in a flash of an eye sometimes. It can happen very, very quickly. So, never say never. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can continue to to support the Palestinian people through the means that we can, which is, you know, to keep pressure up where we can and by, you know, sending money to places that send them food. And, and to repeat, James, that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. And Israelis are not Jews, but they are also Jews. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's an important thing to say, because people listening to this might be like, have got bought into that. It's not the same thing any more than um, a Christian in fucking Norway is the same as a Christian in bumblefuck Louisiana. You know, it's not the same thing. It's... But yeah, I mean, I am sure there are some people going to be listening into this episode that are going to do it just to wind themselves up and will get the usual angry emails. Uh, and let us just say, um, to save you the bother, go fuck yourself. And we're not interested in what you're going to say if you've got an issue with um, the Palestinian people defending themselves. Uh, ditto. Um, you can yeah. go yourself and uh, do it in a kosher way. <laughs> yeah. Maybe cut that bit open. This is, um, you know, like we're not pro. We're not things uh, anymore. The whole point of this episode is to give, you know, like a kind of overview. Um, and I don't think that we should have to, you know, be saying where you're discussing a group, it's the same as promoting a group. No, I don't, I don't think at all. And, and understanding where a group comes from, and again, it's not the same as as saying I approve of suicide bombing or I approve of any of this. Everybody has been, uh, oh, and maybe Libs, Rad Libs is the worst about this. Or, oh, everything has to be like Gandhi, otherwise it's not legitimate or it's not whatever, it shouldn't be talked about. That's bullshit. Usually speaking, what happens is this combination of mass disobedience and some type of controversial quote-unquote terrorist group that leads to it in ireland it was a combination of elected Sinn Féin and the ira in the south and in the north pretty much the same thing as well that led to some level of peace it doesn't mean you know it, um i have to approve of the murder of innocent people and i you know to to, to talk about these groups you know it's and it, things are complicated yes but they're when it comes to Israel Palestine, it's fairly simple um, as to what's going on. And that's the other thing you probably get from this is, you know, people will say Israel Palestine is complicated. It has a complicated history, uh, but it's pretty clear what's going on now. And it's pretty clear which side most people should want to be on the side that is not stealing people's land and slowly but surely starving people in an open air prison camp. Pretty fucking simple. Yeah, exactly. There is a lot of. Uh, people that say things along the lines of like, well, I mean, if you haven't done a degree in this situation, you know, about this topic, then you really shouldn't be discussing it. And it's just a way to to gatekeep um, what they think is, you know, going to stop people from taking a certain position. Or obviously, lots of people that will have, you know, done pol political degrees with a focus on, you know, the Palestine conflict will be pro-Palestine as well. So even by their own 
feats of logic. Um, I would say I'm I'm pro Palestine, pro Palestinian, anti Hamas. I, I I'd say I'm anti Fatah as well because I've seen how corrupt they were in multiple documentaries. Uh, they were not a good group. But there's a big difference. Uh, you know, I'm I don't love Sinn Fein. Uh, I don't love any you know party in particular. But I can understand or uh, the will for working class and poor people to want to get housing, get healthcare. There's a big difference. Like I don't think you should ever. Uh, attach your your colors to a fucking political party uh, without having a huge amount of salt uh, with that. You know, I think so. I think people listen to this. I don't like Hamas. I don't like any group. And I certainly don't like the killing of civilians. But I do understand where it comes from, and I do understand historically speaking, it has worked uh, in some occasions to get things to be better. That's a horrible reality. We don't live in a perfect world. We don't live in your rad lib going for brunch world either. I'm sorry. that You may live in that bourgeois world, but most of us don't. Uh, you might be able to go up to your landlord and go, hey, you know, don't increase my rent this year because my daddy goes to the same golf club as you. That's not the world we live in, you know? And it's an uncomfortable world, but it is what it is. So, uh, yeah, let's let's start finishing up. Um, let's do a sort of last question, which is to sort of link it to to everything all the other episodes that we're going to be doing. I know we're specifically looking at armed groups that use violent tactics, um, either as an aggressor or to defend themselves, um, if indeed they're not the same thing. Um, so what can we kind of learn? What can anarchists learn from Hamas? What to do, what not to do? Um, I would yeah. start off anyway. I think, yeah. yeah. I think it's important, and I'll I'll probably keep making this uh, point throughout um, the season. But I do not think that attacking civilians is a good one. It's not morally correct, and you know I know a lot of our issues that we have with the left is moralism, uh, where people will rather be morally right and technically wrong. But I think in this case, it is really, um, you basically lose the argument when you start indiscriminately killing civilians for, you know, reasons that we already kind of went over in the podcast. If you keep your tactics to things like the police or, you know, say infrastructure when people aren't around or the military, et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, like you saw in Cuba, largely, you know, trying to avoid as many civilians as Castro and Che did, like you can get rid of people that, um, you know, the general population, because you're always going to be a very small amount of people that are going to take up arms. Dislike, you'll, you, you're able to paint that heroic picture of yourself where, you know, if you start bombing discos, and school buses and things like that you don't make yourself many friends and you don't get painted well in the history books but that's why israel would prefer to do what they're doing or did for most have been doing for a while now which is slowly through the courts steal people's houses or basically allow settlers to steal people's homes and East Jerusalem or in the West Bank and slowly, without drawing too much attention, just take the land. They'd much prefer that. And so when Hamas shoots off the rockets, attention is drawn to it again. So, you know, not as a defense to what they do, but I, I, I think their their response to you saying, okay, don't target civilians is, well, how else do you get the world's attention? 
because Israel's not going to do, they've learned to take, keep things quiet. You know, they're not going to shoot people on the Gaza border by thousands of them because that drew too much attention. Yeah. But again, it comes down to sort of guerrilla warfare and a war of attrition. Like, you know, again, IEDs are complicated because they have a lot of civilian casualties. But in the way that you see it happen in somewhere like Iraq or Afghanistan, where you can just frustrate a military force continuously by hitting them in that fashion and keeping like i mean you now i imagine you'd be able to do it more to where you can keep it to civilian casualties to zero or and you make sure that they don't go off when they're going to kill uh, innocent bystanders um and the flip reverse of that has is you know that these forces are always going to overreact always i mean you know when we're recording today like the the Garda in Dublin completely overreacted to a situation in Dublin, uh, city centre, and apart from the West Brits and the fucking nutters, it does not make them look good. They overreacted, and the vast majority of people are not going to be in favour of seeing, you know, kids get their heads split open by batons from people that they're, you know, who. <laughs> Uh, are meant to be, you know, in quotations, looking after the interest of the public. So, you know, if you can frustrate them in this fashion, that's kind of how you, you know, you get some gains. And so maybe if Hamas spent more time, you know, killing the the lawyers and the, the IDF soldiers that were in these places rather than, you know, bombing a Starbucks, you know, maybe that's a a scenario for them but again I, I think that's easier um or from their perspective they said that was easier when um uh, we actually had the uh, munitions coming into the country it has to be remembered it's not just israel that's blockading gaza it's egypt as well most of the you know um most of the middle east and arab countries have don't have relationship with um hamas so they if they're going to get weaponry they have to kind of make it themselves i mean one of the things you'll find underneath, dear listener, um, is a documentary showing them actually uh, scuba diving down to British World War One ships off the coast of Gaza, taking the steel off the ship to try and make uh, rockets, and not you know not very effective rockets. You know they're kind of just shooting them off in the general direction of of Israel uh, because they don't have any guidance systems. So I mean they 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 are left in the situation where they don't really have very much of any alternative to what they're doing. Um, and again, I agree that the targeting of civilians is not in the long term uh, a good idea, at the very least for your reputation. But at a certain point, like I kind of go, well, what else are they going to do? I don't know what they can do. Um, I know that uh, Palestine, sorry, Israel is determined, seemingly, <laughs> and I do mean Israelis too, to take over the area, uh, the West Bank, or at least enough of it. And as we said, shove the Palestinians into reservations. I don't know what uh, what you can really do in those circumstances uh, other than uh to get the rest of the arab world and muslim world behind you and in more than platitudes um and if if that can be achieved by uh you know not suicide bombing or not targeting civilians then yeah but i don't know uh, it's, it's 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 it is very hard to, to, to figure out a solution that that where the palestinians by themselves can uh kind of Affect change, but certainly um, the ability um, 
20 years ago for the Israelis to show photos of, of bombed buses and bombed bus, uh, discotheques didn't help the Palestinian cause. And it certainly didn't help uh, Hamas <laughs> kind of gain uh, supporters in the rest of the world. So I would go with you, but with, with an asterisk next to uh, uh, to the sentence, you know, uh, don't kill civilians because it's, you know, it's not a great idea, but a big asterisk next to it. Um, okay, we, we probably should wrap it up then because that's enough uh, about the subject. Um, for those of you who are listening or still listening at this point, um, we're always looking for co-hosts. Um, uh, if you are interested, we have a, a few people responded from our last call out from last season. But if you are interested, you listen to this, you know what I'm thinking, I, I, I'd like to talk a, a bit uh, about these groups or other subjects. Uh, you can contact us uh, either on Facebook, on Twitter, or on anarchistreadings at gmail.com. Uh, probably should have put this at the beginning of the podcast because almost certainly no one's listening at this point. Um, but I have been Alex, and I, I think we've actually, have we dropped our tradition of coming up with Jitsi names? No, because I am Ham Mask. And I am, I forget what I'm called. Uh, oh yeah, the other Gaz, because um, James used to have a friend called Gaz. All right. It was known. I, I keep saying it as the author Gaz, and I was like, this is some sort of oblique reference I haven't picked up on. No, no, the other Gaz, uh, as in Gaza, the other Gaz. But um, the uh, original Gaz was a guy, for the end, again, anyone still listening, who, I don't know why, I was always amazed that he never took off his woolly hat. Always had a woolly hat on, as if they, there was something wrong with his hair or his head. Um, and it, it could have been there's something wrong with his head because he's a fucking idiot now. Who loves the Lib Dems? I mean, you, you have to somewhat scratch your head when you meet somebody who's a Lib Dem today, you know? Uh, just like, just drinking like the Lib Kool Aid. Yeah, not a big fan of, of, of well, really, of anything really. Just, uh, he loves killing squirrels. So there you go. Um, okay, we're going to call it quits. Um, we will see you next week, or I don't know when. I'll, Regularly, really, we're going to be dropping these episodes. But you'll, we'll see you the next time we drop an episode, which will be on another subject. I think, James, who is, what's our next uh, group we're going to talk about? I think the next group will be the Black Panthers. Black Panthers. Cool. So uh, for any of you listening who are American, that'll be a good episode for you to watch. But that's going to be us for this week. Bye-bye. Goodbye, folks.